0: Hi, everyone. For those of you listening, you know 2020 has been quite a ride. And I just want to take a moment to express my gratitude to all of you that have supported us on this journey, that have listened, shared and reviewed our podcast. For the end of the year, we are re-releasing our most downloaded episodes. We're starting with our number one episode of the year, number 86, Sanjay Shrestha, the Chief Strategy Officer of Plug Power. If you've been following along, the company's been on quite a ride. And I think you might enjoy going back and listening to what he had to share on our show. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Sanjay Srista to the show. Sanjay Srista joined Plug Power as Chief Strategy Officer in 2019. Prior to joining Plug Power, Mr. Srista served as the CIO of a global solar IPP and president of Sky Capital Americas since 2015. Under his leadership, Sky Capital America built and acquired over 100 megawatts of operating solar assets and secured a pipeline of over 100 megawatts. He also sourced various types of financing solutions to support this growth, including project debt construction equity, and long-term equity. He brings almost two decades of experience in the broader clean tech sector to the Plug Power team. Sanjay, how are you doing today?
1: Raj, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Sanjay, thank you for joining us. Sanjay, where are you located? I am actually based in uh, New Jersey. And how's the weather in New Jersey?
1: As a matter of fact, it's been actually, we've had a bit of a heat wave, but today it's uh, turning out to be a slightly better day, but the last few days actually have been uh, not a whole lot different than being in Dallas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So have you had the opportunity to get out and get some fresh air today?
1: Uh, Not today. I haven't actually stepped out today, but one of the things, Raj, I've tried to do, right, is um, given, I think, this COVID-19 and we're all sort of sheltered in working from home, I've tried to be very disciplined about making sure that, uh, you know, towards the end of the day, I'm actually going out for a bit of a walk, right? Because I think it's kind of important for a variety of different reasons. So I'm trying to be very disciplined about that. But I haven't done that yet today. I usually do that towards the end of the day.
0: Well, hopefully you'll get out and enjoy the good weather.
1: I certainly hope so.
0: So Sanjay, I like to open my show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be?
1: Well, Siraz, that's a that's a really good question, right? So uh, look, I mean, I think, um, you know, not talking about sort of personal element of interesting things that we've all been fortunate about what we do and things like that, you know, you'll probably laugh and find it funny. So uh, as you know, I grew up in Nepal, right? I moved to the U.S. when I was 18, 19, and Nepal is a landlocked country. So I didn't know how to swim. <laughs> right, so A lot of people in Nepal, there's a handful of swimming pools, right? But, uh, you know, swimming is something, uh, you know, that some of my friends are very good swimmers, but I didn't happen to be one of them. So when I came to the US, and here's the irony of it, right? I love the beach, I love the water, but I had to learn swimming as an adult. I'm still learning. Not a good swimmer, right? That's something that I think is, uh, you know, and as my daughter puts it, Dad, I cannot believe you're an adult and you don't know how to swim very well.
0: You know, that is interesting. And I think it's a perfect example of perspective. I have a lot of family from India and very similar situation. Some that live by the coastline, maybe, you know, Bombay, Mumbai, Gujarat, that area. They may be more familiar with the coast and the water, but people that, to your point, are landlocked and, you know, don't come from means or resources or access, swimming is not something they do naturally. And so I I have a lot of friends here that are from India that have the same issue where they can't swim and when they're taking their children for swimming lessons, they too are taking swimming lessons at the same time. Same
1: here, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but the only problem is my daughter has become a much better swimmer than I am. (laughs) Well, luckily for me, I can float now, right? I can float, I can tread water. So it's not like I'm probably going to drown right away, thank God, because it's obviously a very important skill set to have in life, right? So I really made an effort trying to get to that point, but... uh, you know, but I thought that was that probably was pretty interesting that I don't Absolutely. think a lot of people know about other than a handful of my close friends.
0: And for now, hopefully, you have height as an advantage too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, Sanjay, can you give me an overview of Plug Power?
1: Um, Sure, sure. So, um, so Raj, and, and, you know, look, I mean, I think, uh, you know, at Plug Power, we feel like we've done some very, very, uh, you know, Important and exciting things for the broader hydrogen fuel cell industry. So, uh, company's been around for a long time, and uh, a lot of folks probably know that. You know, we've been around for the for twenty years or so. But uh, you know, for the first ten of that twenty years, you know, company was mostly focused on R and D. You know, sort of exploring a lot of different markets. But it's really, you know, we've actually, uh, you know, since our uh, existing CEO now he joined the company about. Uh, you know, 12 years ago, and then he started scoping the landscape of what market can we really be the one that is going to be a viable, economical, commercial market for hydrogen fuels, right? And then you fast forward that to 2014. That's when we started doing business with Walmart, right? And then you fast forward that to now where, uh, you know, we've actually delivered 30 40% revenue growth. You know, in last 10 years, our commercial revenue has gone from a $1 million to like $237 million last year. We were EBITDA positive for the full year of 2019. Now we are the largest company in the world with the number of the fuel cell systems that are out there in the field. In this last 10 years, we've reduced our system cost by 10%, I mean by 70%. And we've been in this learning curve where every time we double the number of installed base out in the field, our cost goes down by 25 percent. We have now become the largest user of liquid hydrogen in the world, consuming almost 30 tons of hydrogen a day. We have operated our fuel cell system uh, you know over 300 million hours, you know in this distribution center with the likes of Walmart and Amazon where, if you think about that from an on-road, uh, you know, number of miles standpoint, that'll be like over a billion miles of operating data, right? And uh, and last but not least, you know, given I think everything we've had to do, we've really been very successfully, you know, successful in terms of creating a first viable commercial market for fuel cell, where you know we have probably over ninety-five percent market share in our core market, and we're taking all of that know-how all the experience and the feedback that we've gotten from our key customers like Walmart and Amazon, which allows us to now extend that capability into on-road application for hydrogen fuel cells into the larger data center and uh, backup power market. And also, we recently made two acquisitions that takes us more into the vertical integration of broader hydrogen business with the goal of having more than 50% of the hydrogen we consume being generated by ourselves. And more importantly, really have a path of being, you know, transitioning from your low carbon hydrogen to zero carbon hydrogen by 2024 and have more than 50 percent of our hydrogen be green hydrogen by that time frame. So the accomplishment have been, you know, look, all of this didn't come without a lot of hard work. And, uh, you know, we obviously feel very proud of the fact that we really established a first viable commercial market, you know, for the hydrogen fuel cell industry. And along that way. You know, we've also built a lot of hydrogen fueling infrastructure to support our customer, which have practically created a bit of a hydrogen network and if you would, hydrogen highway, where one of our some of our customers, like Walmart, could actually drive a on-road vehicle all the way from Maine to California, essentially stopping at all of their distribution center. So that's plant power in a nutshell.
0: So there's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to take a step yes. by step. Let's talk about Walmart and Amazon. Obviously, they're the big players in the retail market. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that might not be familiar with Plug Power, yep. can you share some of the applications for those two specific customers? Sure, sure.
1: So, Suraj, so I think um, you know from the um, application and a product standpoint, right? So, what we really do is we make fuel cell systems, right? And we make um, you know hydrogen infrastructure that actually you know uh, stores hydrogen and essentially provides hydrogen to keep this fuel cell systems running right so for the likes of walmart and amazon what we do today is you will actually have let's say a you know battery based electric forklift we convert that to run on hydrogen fuel cell and the reason why you know we've gone from being at like four distribution centers of walmart to 40 and now at over 20 distribution centers with uh, folks like amazon is because uh, fuel cell system has a much better productivity gain labor savings Very high utilization, right? So that's really what we do for them today. But obviously, we have an opportunity to expand that relationship to serve them, serve their needs from an on-road market standpoint, as well as also potentially be a partner that can provide them with green hydrogen as well going forward.
0: Does that answer your question? It does. Specific questions regarding fuel cell. Uh You mentioned replacing the batteries in mm-hmm. what kind of vehicles first question second question if one were to paint a picture or imagination of a fuel cell what would it look like
1: oh i mean i think um it's a lot lighter um, smaller footprint than your typical lead acid battery right i mean you know so rechargeable batteries basically would be plugged into your electric outlet in case of fuel cells it's a uh, gives you constant power. It doesn't have the same challenge like the, uh, you know, state of charge issues with the battery where the, you know, sort of the, uh, you know, so the, you know, the productivity of that battery starts to go down once you get to that 20% state of charge. Right. So it doesn't look a whole lot different than that. It's just, uh, but Hopefully, I'm not coming across like being a bit biased here. It's neater, cleaner, simpler, and the balance of system is getting even easier and easier as we have gone from first generation now already to the fourth generation of our products. So uh, when you visualize it, right, it's, uh, like it's a chemical reaction that's taking place, right? You've got, uh, you know, essentially hydrogen going in from one side, you know, air is going in from the other side, electricity comes out from the system, and that's what drives your electric motor, and that's basically what it is.
0: And in the case of a battery, you mentioned charging, and in some cases having to replace a battery, a fuel cell, how does one fill a fuel cell?
1: Oh, it's very similar to how you actually uh, fill your, uh, you know, any standard IC engine, if you would, right? Because uh, you'll basically have a um, dispenser that will fill, um, you know, today, right? All these forklifts are being filled by uh, essentially one of the dispenser, and you will fill it with the gaseous hydrogen. That's what you will do.
0: So almost like filling gas in a car, correct?
1: No different than at all. And that's one of the, that's a really important point, Raj, right? So one of the biggest benefit that, uh, and by the way, we're not purists, right? You know, we believe in the electrification of the broader transportation industry, and we fully see the value just of a full battery electric vehicle where, uh, you know, but there are situations where the battery electric vehicle without some sort of a fuel cell system starts to run into its limitation, right? But uh, you know, but as you rightfully pointed out, the benefits of hydrogen fuel cell is, you know, in like in case of the material handling market, you get the productivity gain. Like think about it this way, right? So if you're running your forklifts in electric uh, batteries, if you would, right? In most of the cases, it's lead acid batteries. So what happens is uh, you will have to have three set of those, right? One that is being charged, one that is being cooled, and one that is actually running the forklift. Right. And then also, once you get to a certain level of state of charge, the, uh, you know, the productivity of that forklift starts to go down. So you also have an issue of uh, folks that are actually sitting in the queue while the battery is being changed. Right. So you need to have three sets of this, the time it takes to charge. So by using the hydrogen fuel cell system in these material handling markets, you get, you know, productivity gain. You don't need to worry about 15 or so minutes of somebody sitting there. While the battery is being changed, you can actually fill your forklift in minute and a half. So you get a lot of benefit from that. And also fuel cells give you a constant power, which means throughout your performance in that 24-7 time, you're not dealing with sort of the surge and the sag of the batteries, right? So, you end up being able to, you know, so the child, you will never run into a challenge of having to pick, you know, a big box of water 20 feet up, right? So, you get all these incremental benefits by actually using fuel cell system in this case of material handling industry versus just using the lead acid battery.
0: Thank you for the clarity on that. And can you speak to some of the stationary applications?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, stationary application is something that, uh, you know, most of our work has been really on a smaller scale applications supporting sort of, you know, LTE network and things like that, right? But one of the changes that we have seen, and this is actually more of a pull, frankly, rather than push from our end is, uh, you know, as you know, some of the larger players, you know, that have got a large data center for cloud application and things like that. You know, most of the players like the uh, Amazons of the world, the Microsoft of the worlds have come out and talked about their sustainability goals, right? And uh, lots of them actually um, do have diesel generator as a backup power. And what we're starting to see is in some of those cases, you know, our hydrogen fuel cell could actually end up becoming cost competitive from a total cost of ownership standpoint over the next three to four years. And this could be a very large you know, multi-megawatt system essentially displacing some of this diesel-based backup solution for the large-scale data center market.
0: And so I know I'm not very familiar, but I am familiar with the diesel backups that you're speaking about. Sure. I don't know the you know, full stability around hydrogen. How long can one of these stationary power backups last before it has to be replaced or refueled?
1: Yeah, so typically, I mean, I think, you know, every time, so a couple of things on that, right? I mean, I think um, that's one of the equations we're obviously spending a lot of time trying to address as well, right? So when you actually have a diesel-based backup solution, right, you're looking for to make sure that you have enough fuel and enough capacity to have anywhere from 24 to 48 hours of backup, right? Because, uh, Raj, as you know, right, when you're thinking about it from the backup power market standpoint to increase your... Three nines of reliability from the grid to nine nines of reliability, right? You will actually have an uninterrupted power supply system where you will also have a batteries that'll give you a 15% bridge. And if that 15 minute bridge is not enough, then you'll go to your diesel generator, right? So in this particular case as well, we'll also be looking to provide enough hydrogen availability as a fuel to support our fuel cell system in an event there is a need for 24 hours of backup, right? That's one. Second is uh, one of the challenges also the data center folks seems to be facing with the diesel generator is you actually have to test it and run it at least an hour or two a day in an event, you know, you need to actually have to pull the power from that diesel generator, right? So the noise pollution apparently is one of the concerns that also is becoming a bigger issue for them as well. So the system will probably run from a test perspective in an event, it really needs to provide that true backup power for about an hour or two. And just to put things in context, right, a forklift system will consume about uh, 1.1 kilograms of hydrogen per day if it's running 24 hours a day, and that's about a 10 kilowatt system.
0: That's pretty interesting. I look forward to seeing what you guys roll out with in the future. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit sure. get to the crux of our conversation here. So you're obviously a very accomplished fellow. You've been in the renewable space, if I look at your bio, for about Twenty years. The crux of the conversation is why? What drives you? What motivates you to a? You know, first of all, enter this arena of renewable, and then stay with it for so long.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I appreciate that comment, Raj. Right. So uh, again, I think um, coming back and uh, joining Plug Power, having known the company's evolution for the last twenty years. You know, I almost feel like I'm sort of kind of coming back home, if you would. Right. It really feels like that. And I think, uh, you know, we also as a company are at the point in such an interesting tipping point at the growth curve with so many opportunities ahead of us, a real convergence of all the hard work that have gone in you know, all the cost reduction that have happened, all the product reliability benefit we have had, right? And a lot more to do, but it really feels like sort of the convergence of the factors is really putting us in a very good position, right? And Raj, look, I frankly feel like I've been fortunate to be a part of this industry, you know, and I practically grew up in this industry, right? And, um, and then I think part of the reason why I feel so proud of being a part of this industry is I think about the evolution of the energy industry, right? Where we went from sort of burning wood, than burning coal, then burning natural gas. And now what is next, right? Every step of that evolution takes you closer and closer to that low carbon to zero carbon solution, right? And energy is the backbone to continue our ongoing industrial revolution, depending on how you define that, right? So to be able to be a part of an industry that can actually decarbonize our electric grid, that can basically decarbonize our transportation industry that actually have such a big benefit from the reduction of the greenhouse gas emission, sustainability standpoint, job creation, leaving our world a better place for the next generation to come. I, I mean, God, I can't think of sort of being and doing something other than this, but I got to be frank with you, right? I mean, I got into this industry pretty early on. I've had a chance to see a lot of boom in a bus cycle, also in a lot of different capacity. You know, so uh, look, I mean, I think, you know, when I think about how... The industry that I'm aligned with, I mean, you know, it's not just about return on invested capital, which, don't get me wrong, is very important to grow the business, to propel the growth forward. It has so many additional benefits, right? And one last comment here as to what really, really gets all of us, not just me, and I think everybody at Plug Power super excited, is, you know, we're now at the point where, you know, one of the ways to decarbonize our electric grid is by adding more renewable. Right. As you add more renewable electricity in the grid, the price of that renewable electricity goes down. But also one of the challenges that comes up is you know, the grid stability, if you would, right? You got to make sure that the grid is being you know, balanced well, managed well, right? As you continue to retire a lot of coal-based power. Now, with that low-cost electrons, you can then convert that into high-value hydrogen fuel. While you're decarbonizing multiple industries with so many benefits, that is beyond just energy security. It's a matter of national security. So I, I'm just thrilled with what I do. And I kind of look forward to going to job every morning. It's just I'm having a great time.
0: So I'm going to push just a little bit more. Why is decarbonization important to you, Sanjay?
1: Um, look, I mean, I think, um, so, you know, my wife is a uh, epidemiologist. And, um, you know, so I live in a household where I think uh, we think about all this infectious disease, cleanliness, making sure that, uh, you know, we are, you know, especially in light of this COVID-19, that's, uh, you know, this unfortunate pandemic that we're dealing with, right? So, uh, you know, look, I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of debate surrounding, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, the climate change lack thereof, right? But look, I mean, I think one of the things that I think decarbonization and the impact of greenhouse gas emission to the rising temperature, thereby impacting the overall you know, global climate change impact, which has so many additional issues, right? Maybe new diseases are starting to come, right? And you, it's, you know, sort of the, it's beyond just like one issue versus the other, right? It's not just about the rising sea level. There's so many negatives associated with it. And if by being part of the industry that can play a major role in attacking that, It has a personal gratification. It has a professional gratification. And frankly, that's why I just love the fact that I'm part of this industry.
0: I really appreciate you sharing that. You said something earlier. You said boom and bust cycles. How is this time different from the cycles that you've seen over the last 20 years?
1: I think it's very typical to any, I hate to use the word emerging growth industry, right? Because I think we're a little bit beyond just uh, emerging growth industry. Um, so what does it? Look, I mean, when you think, of, let's let's go go down the memory lane, if I may, right? Absolutely. So what happened in 1999 and 2000 is, uh, you know, the uh, broader alternative energy industry or energy technology or power technology. You know, there's a lot of different terminology, clean tech industry, right? There's a lot of different terminology that's gotten used for this industry, right? So, uh, look, it was all about a, a potential role of, you know, back then in 99 and 2000. It was a lot about a role of hydrogen fuel cells, right? That can essentially, uh, you know, provide a backup power. That can provide transportation solution. And I think while the premise was right, I think it was a little bit premature because we were not quite where we needed to be from a cost, technology, or the availability of the infrastructure standpoint, right? So when some of the companies went public back then, there was a lot of excitement. Then you basically had a technology crash of 2001 and 2000. That obviously drove the entire sector down, right? And you saw that happen from between, you know, let's call it 99 to 2003. And you obviously had a lot of volatility with the price of oil as well at that time. So that was phase one of, you know, exuberance and correction, if you will, right? And you fast forward that a little bit to 2000, not so much fast forward. Then you got 2004 that comes in where Germany decides to implement, uh, you know incremental solar policy right then you start to see solar industry gradually start to take off and then comes basically a feed in tariff program not just in germany but also in spain italy the european market starts to see a massive growth in the solar installation to a point where i remember being in one of the solar conferences that price of polysilicon the key raw material right When your cost of production is $20 a kilogram, it was trading at $450 in the spot market. That was not sustainable. That was exuberance, right? You know, it's just a cyclical growth nature of that industry. Then you saw a massive correction starting to happen in 2009, obviously coinciding, unfortunately, with the bit of financial and the banking crisis that we saw, right? But the real correction in the solar industry and the capacity consolidation happened In 2011, right? So you had that boom and then a little bit of that bust where, but there was a silver lining in that bust, which really only saved the handful of companies that deserve to, frankly, for the lack of a better word, to survive because they have the right balance sheet, right business model, right thought process, right? In terms of where this industry needs to go. The net benefit of that, we saw the levelized cost of energy for solar starting to compete against peaking gas-fired power plant right we're now finally at the point where the cost of electricity from solar and wind is competitive against a lot of fossil fuel based solution right so I think even though you had that boom and a bus cycle industry's maturity and the cost curve gotten it to a point it's very sustainable there was one another very important phenomenon that occurred and I do give Department of Energy a lot of credit for this for their loan guarantee program which was implemented in 2011, which really opened up a lot of financing activity, project financing, back leverage in the solar sector, thereby reducing the cost of financing, really making solar a very, very attractive asset class, right? Then you started to see another wave of IPO. And as you can see, once again, a lot of the really interesting, exciting companies are back in favor again. But on the hydrogen fuel cell side, I feel like, you know, in a way, everything I've done in the solar sector, things that I've done in the structured financing, things that I've done building solar projects and stuff like that, it's all converging where, on one hand, we have low cost electricity. But on the other hand, we have a massive trend of electrification happening. Batteries will play a role, very important one. But battery is not going to solve everything. Then you got the hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle that is going to play a very important role you got low cost electron high value fuel and i think we're probably at that point where handful of companies are going to see a very nice run here very nice growth and hopefully we're looking at an upturn in the cycle here as well so that's the last 20 years of what happened in the renewable energy industry to the best i can recap
0: no, i think it's fantastic and i know from your buy you've had a front row seat you know you mentioned through structured finance and then with solar and you also mentioned a word there regarding converging, and I think the convergence is happening right now. You mentioned the cost and the demand, and you know different factors coming into play. So I think that was a, a great answer. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think you know, hopefully, in Graham Moore's words, we've crossed the chasm now, and Let's we're on hope that. hope
1: so. Yes. Yes, we're Let's on, on so. that. Up, up, I upwards. think so. I certainly think so. Right. I think uh, you know. I do believe that we've sort of crossed that value at death. Right and um you know but again there is still enough work to be done companies need to be still disciplined we have to stay focused we have to keep at it right and um you know but uh fair point
0: absolutely and speaking of staying focused and keeping at it what would you say are some of the major lessons that you've learned on your journey
1: i think about that a lot raj right i mean i think um you know so a couple of things right i mean i think this might be a little bit uh interesting perspective for you because I've not been an operational guy my entire life, right? And I think uh, I've been sort of the sell-side analyst. I've also been a banker. Then I've become an operational guy, right? One of the things I've learned is, um, you know, I think in terms of the growth of any industry, you know, it's, a, it's not just one aspect that, uh, one aspect alone is not going to get you there, right? And uh, I'll come to that as to what I mean by that, right? So it's almost like the four-legged stool, if you will, right? Where, uh, you know, while sitting there and talking about the importance of financing, importance of capital, that's very uh, true. But I think that alone is not going to get, uh, you know, some of the industries like we're talking about here. Right. Sustainability sector continue to grow. Right. You need to have operational excellence. You need to think about cost reduction. You need to think about manufacturing scale up. You need to think about right partners. You need to think about Right, customer servicing. And frankly, I think one of the biggest things I've learned in this whole journey is uh, you know, I think um, operational work and the amount of the dedication and the effort you have to put into actually build things, one should not underestimate that, right? And I think it's, um, it's uh, again, finance is very important, but I think from a financial perspective, it's a lot easier to say, Maybe ABC should have been done, but going and actually doing the ABC is very, very difficult, right? So, uh, you know, building an enterprise and actually rolling up the sleeves and getting that done, it takes a tremendous amount of effort, right? So, that's one huge, huge appreciation I have because, you know, it's uh, when you were writing a sell side report, recommending or not recommending a stock of a company and saying, well, they missed the quarter and how can they? Versus actually making sure you're driving towards making the numbers, all the effort that goes into it, it's it's a lot of work, right? And I think uh, that level of appreciation, I think, is something I really treasure and appreciate because I don't think I could have had that perspective had I not been on the outside.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. So Magic Wand, five years from now, what does the future hold for Plug Power?
1: Well, <laughs> I don't know if we need a magic wand, <laughs> but I hear you. Look, I mean, fast forward five years, as you know, we, uh, you know, we've laid out our, you know, 2024, which was a five-year target that we laid out last year, right? We have said that, you know, from 237 million in revenue in 2019, we're planning to do 1.2 billion now, and we're looking at going from, you know, sort of like $9, $10 million in EBITDA to $250 million in ibadah, Right that is a pretty substantial growth. And even with that kind of a growth, we're still looking at like, you know, less than, think about it, right? Our core market of material handling is a $30 billion industry. On-road market, $300 billion industry. Large-scale data center and a backup power, $15 billion market. Hydrogen economy on a global basis, $2.5 trillion industry, right? So even while the numbers are you know, pretty, you know, pretty good from a growth rate standpoint, it is still such a small fragment of the market. Look, I mean, magic one, I think, uh, you know, we probably would like to be working with partner and on our own that we have become the largest green hydrogen generation company in the US with an effort to become that, uh, you know, with a similar effort unfolding in Europe and on a global basis. We have gotten a lot of traction in the on-road market, you know, in terms of number of vehicles that are out there, continuing to work with some of our core customers that we have that also have a lot of on-road vehicle out there as well. And look, and I think uh, all the employees are happy, people are happy, and, uh, you know, we've built an enterprise that is much larger than where we are today. But, uh, But frankly, Raj, I think it's just more blocking and tackling than really waving a magic wand, to be honest with you.
0: Well, I look forward to watching you capture as much of that market as possible. So, Sanjay, I'd like to end the show with this question. If you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be?
1: So there's two two aspects, Raj, right? I mean, I think it converges, but there's two aspects in my opinion. I mean, I think on a personal note, right, we all have to think about doing something that will have a long-lasting impact for the generations to come on a personal level, right? Whether it's about being a good human being and uh, trying to do the right thing, whether it's on a personal level with your family, your friends, or From a global perspective of, as I said, right, the reason why I love the fact that I'm in the industry that I'm in is because I think it has, you will play such a big role in leaving our world a better place, you know, for the next generations to come, right? So I think uh, one has to do that. Then I think folks should never give up, right? I mean, I think uh, it's okay if you don't succeed in something, right? Because uh, that is the only way you're going to get better, as, as, as they say. The definition of expert is somebody who's made a lot of mistakes in that particular field, right? And finally, I think uh, I don't think one should think about, uh, hey, I didn't get lucky or luck did not play a factor in terms of what I wanted to do. You know, because uh, to me, I think luck is not a whole lot more than really preparation kind of meeting the opportunity, right? So I think you always have to be giving that 100% don't think that, uh, you know, and if things are tough, it will pass, right? And uh, we will go through ups and downs in lives. There is no such thing called straight line. But I think if you give it a hundred percent, this whole notion of luck and things working in your favor, I think will materialize because you will be prepared. And that opportunity, I think kind of comes
0: your way at some point. Sanjay, I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much. Is there anything I should have asked you that I did not? Um,
1: no, I think um, I think that I really, really appreciate it, right. Is there anything else I can answer for you that we didn't touch on or talked about? You know one last comment I might make is um, you know, look, I mean this, uh, we're dealing with this global pandemic, right? I mean, we had plug power, you know we started to we took a lot of steps uh, even before some of the mandates from the government side, you know, safety of our employee, our community, our suppliers is our top priority, right? And I think, uh, you know, look, and then we move over 25% of the retail food in the US. And we've been very fortunate that our systems have been able to, you know, keep up with the productivities and uh, higher demand from our customers like Walmart and Amazon in this difficult time. And uh, I just uh, want to tell everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be careful. And, uh, you know, I think, you uh, I'm sure we will get beyond this. We'll come out stronger of this. But I think, you know, a bit of a precaution in times like this is always good.
0: Thank you, Sanjay. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: Thank you very much, Raj. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com, or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.